This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Titanium was first discovered in the late 1700s by an amateur geologist in England. At the time, he had no idea what the metal he was looking at was. He just recognized it as something new. It wasn't for another five years, until 1795, that a scientist from Central Europe, in what is now Slovakia, figured out that it was actually a new element. A high-strength, low-density metal, stronger than some types of steel, yet supremely lightweight. An ideal metal for industry. He named it titanium, after the titans of Greek mythology. Despite such lofty naming origins, the most common use for titanium today is actually as a pigment, titanium dioxide. It's the white that we've come to know in our cars and other manufactured goods. Another purpose for titanium is in medical devices, like the one in the plate in my collarbone, or in the right arm of today's guest, Saida Rana of Kelly Benefit Strategies. The titanium rod that reinforces Saeed's humerus bone is a legacy of a horrific crash that he suffered at Spartanburg in 2019 when his arm caught the edge of a metal crowd control barrier in the closing laps of the race. But in many ways, it's a symbol of his personality too. Amenable, open and caring, but strong and determined when necessary. It's traits like those that have made him successful in the sport in just five years after arriving here from his native Colombia. We tell today's story in three chapters. The first, Hasta Luego. If you're like me, what you don't know about Colombia, its culture, its people, its food, is greater than what you do. While each country may speak about bike racing in its own unique ways, there are some very common features that we all share. What are those commonalities and differences? I'll let Saeed Arana pick it up from there. All right, my name is Saeed Arana. Many people like my second name, which is Kavir. I race for KBS, Elliott Racing, and I live in downtown Wheaton which is Silver Spring, pretty much. So you're a D.C. guy. Less than 20 minutes drive, so I will say it's D.C. area, yeah. Well, let's start at the beginning. You're not originally from Wheaton in D.C. You are from Colombia. Yes, sir. I'm Colombian. It took me a long time to realize that Colombia didn't have a U in it, and so <laughs> my my accent was terrible. I was always called Colombia, Colombia, Colombia. Uh-huh. And then I started watching Narcos. Oh, there you go. And they're like, it's Colombia. And, and then I started talking to a mutual friend of ours, Laura Echeverria. Laura Echeverria, yeah. And she's like, I'm from Medellin. And, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, oh, wow. I realize I've been really mispronouncing all of these things for so long, and I'm ashamed of it. While we're talking about Colombia, mm-hmm. most of us only know Colombia from narcos from tv shows like that from growing up with this image of Kali and pablo escobar uh-huh what's it really like and i know that's an impossible question to answer but what is it really like the whole pablo escobar and the netflix version is more like the american version i will say is being uh showed to the americans you know so many people just know the the pablo sto- history and the the whole Medellin, you know, there's some just so, so many places out there. The West Colombia is just a very happy place. People is very warm. I will say that what it makes the country is just, I mean, it, the, in, in many places of the country are very beautiful, but the people is what it makes it. You know, it doesn't matter from what part of the world are you coming from, you will always be welcome. There's, there's kind of like a Colombian saying that, People are afraid to go to Colombia, but not because it's too dangerous. It's just because people wanted to stay forever. <laughs> so many people that go and visit, they, 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 they really end up staying over there. Colombia is a country of 50 million people. It's the 25th largest country in the world. So it's not a small country. Okay. The domestic cycling scene in Colombia... You know, because we know about Egon Bernal, we know about Rigoberto Uran, we know about mm-hmm. Nairo Quintana, we know about the greats. Okay. What about just going on within 
Colombia? Because I know that you started the sport as a local mountain biker. Uh-huh. What's it like? Is there a USA crits or a USA cycling in Colombia? Is there like a Tuesday night training series in Bogota? So in every city, there's definitely cold races, right? There are some big series like the ones we have in the U.S., and from those small races and from those local from every city, like the Tuesday night ride or like let's call it the Goon Ride or the Haynes Point uh, Fight Club, whatever, many riders, they make their, their way out to uh, coaches from big teams, you know? So they, they make their way out from those small, from those small rides, from those small uh, training series, and they just made it out to the U.S. or Europe. It's really hard, actually, because there's just so much talent. You know, there's just so much talent in the country that many of them, they just, they reach a point where a, po- a, a, a cycling point and an age point that they have to pick between, you know, making a living or continuing with cycling. So that's the whole, so I, I feel like that's the whole dilemma between just like being a true cyclist, having talent and then, you know, making a living for yourself. So talent is everywhere. It just needs a little bit more support and organization. I think that's the that's the cycling scene. That's a that's a really hard topic. It is. Is is the idea of giving people the proper amount of support. Yeah. In the United States, we dealt with this issue in the sixties and in the seventies as we were growing up as a country with sport with AAU. We were looking at European sports where athletes who are identified as good athletes were given municipal jobs so that they could continue to train. And, you know, I don't know what the GDP in Colombia is, but I know that in the United States, as an athlete, it's hard to continue on past the age of 22, 23, 24 without having some kind of a job. It is, it is, it is very difficult. Uh, it is very difficult over there. So there's certain programs according the city that they, uh, if you, let's say you're studying, you're doing your whole career, whatever you're doing, they help you out as a, as an athlete to get your career and get you know your whole sport, uh, your whole your whole sport going. But the programs are very small. You know all the funding, and even when there is funding, it's just so complicated to get it. So each city has it, but it's just very small. So we know about the big name men. Are they heroes? to Colombians? Is Bernal a hero to Colombians? Is Quintana a hero? Yeah, I think, yeah, matter of fact, they are, you know, we are all people, individuals that commit, you know, we have all, we all have ups and downs. I think whatever the people wanted to believe from media, it's up to everyone's opinion, you know, they are great, great writers. And I think Egan is just an outstanding writer that gave Colombia the greatness of being the, the first Colombian and winning a, a, a Tour de France. Not not taking away, you know, all the wins that from Rigoberto and Nairo and all the all the big riders, but you know, he he's a very promising young rider that will definitely do something huge in the future. Do you think if those guys were walking around Cali or Bogota that they would be recognized? For sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it will be hard. I mean, unless you don't watch any news or you don't like cycling, I think it would be very hard not to recognize them. As far as sport is concerned in Colombia, is it soccer and cycling? Are those the two big things? Is there, you know, is baseball a thing there? or is? I think in the coast, baseball, but mainly soccer. Uh, late years has been cycling. You know, because um, news and media, they've been, you know, giving more like uh, uh, more screen to cycling. Uh, they just realized that I, th- I think it was just the whole monotony of the news of, you know, we're tired of seeing soccer. We're tired of seeing, you know, the same old sports and the TV. So that, let's bring a little bit of this. Let's bring more uh, anchormans that, you know, document themselves about this. Because this is this is hot. This is hot news. We need to tell the people that this is happening and this is happening in Colombia. So late years, you, you, uh, cycling have become like the boom of it. Have you seen a boom both on the men's and the women's side in cycling participation in Colombia, for example? Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, from the professional side, it's completely booming. And from the amateur side, a lot of people, the professionals have deeply encouraged people to ride their bikes. 
uh, mom, dad, un uncle, grandma, all the kids, everyone wants to ride a bike in Colombia. If they can, they will. Before we head into chapter two, I want to introduce you to three of my friends from another show here on the Wide Angle Podium, The Grodio. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast. And we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Grodio Podcast. Chapter 2, Meteoric Rise. This is an amazing phrase. We all know it's used to describe a swift and spectacular ascendancy of a subject, which in this case is Saeed's bike racing career. After a quite literal bumpy start, Saeed reinvents himself and becomes a student of the sport. He shoots up the local and regional ranks and lands a spot on a UCI Continental team. Skyline Bicycles. But we all know, meteors don't really rise. They hurtle out of the sky towards the earth below. I've actually been trying to remember the first time that you and I got together. And I, I think I, and I think I remembered it. I think if if I'm not wrong, we met at your birthday ride. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you came to my birthday ride when I turned forty, yeah. for sure. But going back even further, I have a memory of you from I believe 2016. You had been in bike racing in the United States for two years by that point in time. You you dabbled a little in 2015, but the race that I'm talking about is a Hagerstown twilight criterium so the washington county kickoff criterium it wasn't exactly shall we say the easiest introduction to american crit racing for you yeah 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 <laughs> talk to us about getting involved in american racing as opposed to being involved in colombian racing when you were back at home so i i think i think i have a uh, like mixed memories but wasn't this the 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 crit the night because I remember I raced Hagerstown twice. So wasn't this the night that I got like nine and a lot of people was like uh, fighting with me over the oh god. There were definitely some words that were <laughs> were exchanged between you and your brother Memo oh, and the rest of the community. It, yeah, it was it was an agitated night. Yeah. I would call it like that. And what well, certainly the cycling is seen from the U.S. to Colombia is com it's the complete opposite. Unless you're living in a place that's close to um, Colombian geography, let's call it like that, everything will be fast. Everything else, everything else is just fast. Just uh, crit racing, it was something that I wasn't used to it because I was just coming from the coffee regions. It's very hilly, just climbing. And when I hit the Hagerstown uh, crit, it was very interesting, you know, thinking not just the power, but the handling, it, it came into place. And I think a couple of riders, you know, they just, they were a, a, a bit upset of my moves here and there, but nothing that I mean with any harm. It was just a, a pure racing and agitate, pure heat of the race. So the Hagerstown crit's actually an exceptional criterium. It's it is. technical, uh, yet it has high speed. It's not four corners at all. There's ups and downs and, you know, the last corner when you exit out of it, it is just wide enough to be an actual criterium. So, you know, seeing somebody 
bouncing shoulders or elbows with other people, not unusual in a in a criterium like that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you you took the message that people were giving you in a positive way eventually. After after the adrenaline cooled down and the yelling and screaming, you know, <laughs> cooled down, you were able to turn yourself from being a strong bike racer into being one of the best in the area. How did you learn these lessons and learn them very quickly? I mean, that night that, you know, I, I realized that a lot of people were very upset about a couple of moves I did. I was like, well, okay, so this is not the way I used to race. I really need to reinvent myself and learn it. I need to learn it and study it and see how can I become uh, better at turns, better at exiting, better than uh, more being a more technical rider. I will say that many of my mountain bike skills helped me uh, down the road. I guess that was one of the reasons why I learned it so fast. But racing with very good riders, like high top elite uh, riders from other places, also taught me that that you know it's just it's not just power. It's uh, being conservative. It's being fast here. It's being fast. It's just read every race. Crit is a very tactical. It's a very tactical sport. Crit racing, uh, more than road racing, which is they both have their science. I'll call it. I'll say that. At that time, you were racing with District Taco. There's no shortage of good, talented bike racers on that team. You had deep connections with Batley Harley Davidson, which has obviously a, a tradition of great bike racers in the area. But you had access to 1,800 bike racers in Mabra. Who did you turn to to teach you how to do what you do? So at the very beginning, I had my brother which we used to be like the Williams brothers, you know, just one supporting the other. But later on, when he decided to step out of cycling, I saw myself not like as a loner, but I knew that I needed to learn this to help my teammates with my, my, my current team, help my teammates, but also to improve myself in case I see myself alone in a pack. person I learned the most during my crit life here in the U.S., I would say it was Carlos Alzate. Who is he? Carlos Alzate, he was the bullet of the blue train in the United Healthcare. We both raced one time in Colombia down in his, um, it was close to his town in Tuluá. And I think it was very special because he was racing with his brother and Brian, Brian Gomez. We all three were racing and I had this vision of them. They, they, they recently uh, went down to Colombia from, from U.S. from racing with the United Healthcare. And I said to myself, I need to learn what they know because they were very fast. They were very fast up here. They're very fast down there. I need to know what they're either way eating, what way are they training, what are their tactics, how are they handling this whole thing? Because his whole system, his whole ways to race in a crit. And I learned this in a very good way on um, Air Force Classic. Then I raced both with him. It was just no way to. There's a, there was just no way to exp, to explain the the experience he has. I guess that's something you just acquire through years. Obviously, having a mentor, but you acquire through years. And just a very special guy, very very special guy for me. I wish I could race with him again, but you know, he's just uh, racing down in Colombia, having fun. One of the things that I've not done well enough on this show is explaining the details of Criterium Racing explaining the science and the strategy behind it, trying to get give somebody who doesn't have a mental picture in their mind of how a crit works, putting that image there. Could you help me here a little bit and provide an image for somebody who knows what a crit is, maybe has tried one or gone and been a spectator at one, of what separates a average, good, and an exceptional criterium racer when it comes down to technique okay um well this is just my opinion you know absolutely <laughs> i still have i still have a lot to learn we're gonna know? ink a book deal at the end e of this even even when uh when i have done pretty well and uh in very good races and very good crits all over the u.s i still feel like i have to I, I i have a lot to learn a lot from people that you know even from kelly we have 
so many people with so much experience and so much uh, to learn. But I will say that what it makes a good rider from an exceptional rider is just decision. Is decision. It's just the decision of when you decide to speed, when you decide to break, when you decide to go, if I fit there, if I don't fit, what kind of uh, wheel should I take, what kind of person should I follow. It's, it's a whole uh, system. If you picture it in a diagram, and you're racing as a full squad that what everyone is completely capable of crit racing. Let's call it as a skyline that I race for them or butcher box. You know, it's, it's a whole system. Everyone has decided and everyone knows what to do. That's, that's what separates the good rider from the exceptional. So let's talk about skyline. Since you brought him up, we have to talk about it. <laughs> Definitely. Sure. <laughs> 2019 last year, back before all of the coronavirus and quarantines, that was supposed to be a huge blowout year for you. That was a monumental shift. You had gone from local bike racing team to Skyline, a UCI continental team. How did you get in touch with them? How did you get to become a part of this organization? So when we came down uh, me and my brother to uh, Baltimore to race uh, Bike Jam. David, David Dustin was there. And we used to talk before because we used to race together, but not as the very good besties or, te- or looking, at, looking at each other as, as uh, future teammates. But we talked that day and we were like, hey, what if we just go the both of us together? I mean, I was by myself. I think it was another of my teammates over there. But he he proposed me to race together. And I was like, well, okay, you know, this is this is just a quick crit. Let's just do it together. And yet we race all the stuff. And we from that day we become like let's say good partners, right? And he was like, hey, I think you're a very you're you're a strong rider. I think you should come and guest ride for us one day. And I was like, well, pretty much what I've been doing the whole year is just. Uh, jumping from big race to big race by myself. So I was like, okay, why not? Let's just talk to, you know, the guys of the team and be like, hey, I'm just going to guest ride for them a couple of races. Then I'll be back to my home and, and see how it goes. Right? So I don't remember. I'm trying to remember where, where what was our, our my first race as a guest rider for them. And I don't know if it was Redding, Redding Rasper. I think it was the first one. Because that's where Ryan DeWalt is, was from, and he and the Skyline Bike Company had a big connection with Redding and the the, the crit. That that that's the Skyline uh, backyard, you know. So we went to Redding Ratspur, you know, not knowing how the team will do, but we obviously we were expecting to have a good result because, you know, it's Ryan's house. Everyone knows him. Everyone knows the team. Kind of like we were just we have to do good. So that day we won the crit. Everything was completely exceptional. What was your goal for 2019? Being the new guy on this UCI team, you know, making huge steps towards professionalizing yourself as a criterium racer in in the United States. What was the 2019 goal? My whole goal for the 2019 with Skyline was to be what my other teammates expected me to be. I have a full-time job and I also, with the whole um, county racing, I literally picture myself as a full-time rider. So I was doing both at the same time, but keeping it realistically, if I had a project coming up, let's, let's talk about work, and then I had a race coming up, I have to prioritize. At that point, the whole 2019, it was like, I'm just going to go full gas, whatever my teammates want me or needed me to do. If I'm the to-go guy, that's perfect. If they want me, they want me to support him, to support whoever they need, the the, the strong guy, I will definitely do that. I was just uh, trying to leave the whole experience and to see how the programming was developing with the time, because uh, many guy, many many of them, kind of like eighty percent of the eighty percent of them, they were thinking about racing in Europe, you know. But racing for me out of the country is just. Uh, out of my hands right now because of you know work and other circumstances so i try to fit my schedule and life around the u.s calendar unfortunately those great plans came crashing down at spartanburg (laughs) 
That's a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely. What happened at Spartanburg? Oh, wow. Uh, that was very hectic. So that's not, that night, I was feeling very strong. I mean, uh, I, will, I, I would definitely say it. I was, I was feeling like I could finish on like top three, top second, even aiming for the first place. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound braggy. You had just come off winning the Route 1 Rampage in D.C. Now, that's I'm not going to try to compare Route 1 with Spartanburg, but the way that you won that criterium was impressive. I mean, I've seen slow motion video of you taking the most inside of inside lines and holding it against DJ Brew, who's one of the best sprinters in the country. So you were very much on form. I, I believe that I was mentally very strong, like very, very strong. The last six laps to go, pretty much the whole crit, I follow one of my solo favorite guys, which is uh, Shane Klein. I always follow him. He's an amazing rider. He has a very technical line. He's very strong. Uh, moving in the pack with him is just so easy. And I took his, I took his, uh, his wheel. So, but six laps to go, you know, the, I think before the last turn, the whole pack reduced the speed and everything is just start becoming wider, wider and wider. And, you know, people just want to get their place because it's six laps to go. That's pretty much a dead match. Someone from the crowd, I think they cross the course from that point. So the whole barrier, it was a straight. And when they opened the barrier, that peak he was pointing in. So you're talking about the actual metal barriers that were lining the course. Exactly, yes. So, you know, just keeping my head down, but looking at the front, I'm just using my peripheral, uh, peripheral view to follow myself. So I'm assuming that the whole... Um, the whole barrier is straight. When I get my head up a little bit to see who's in the front, who's going, if the whole pack is complete, I find myself with the barrier. And when I, two, three seconds before, I'm like, this is it. The only thing I could hear was the bikes crashing on me and crashing on top of the other, just all the, all the bikes and the riders piling up. And it was very hectic because when I was laying down on the floor, I couldn't feel my entire arm like anything. But I was looking at my hand and my fingers were working. So I tried to get up and I couldn't. And I was like, oh, Jesus. So it's a collarbone. I'm pretty sure it's collarbone. And then I touched my collarbone, my right one, and it's complete. It's completely unbroke. And I was like, all right, it's not collarbone, but I can move. I can not still move. So I look at my arm, and the only thing I'm moving is half of my humerus, half of my bone. That's the only thing that's moving. And I'm like, this is another level. I think this time is this thing is big. What had ended up happening is that the edge of the barrier had caught your bicep, basically. I will assume, looking at the video, because I look at it a couple times. Is that painful to look at? <laughs> I think it's more of, you look at it and it's more like, oh shit, I did that. <laughs> Let's say when you step in the ring in the criticism, everything can, everything can happen. Everything could happen. It's just like from that to a like sliding in and the turn and then, you know, slashing all your, all your leg or all your body to, to that or like t the time. Spartanburg, I feel like it hasn't been my race uh, like ever. First time I race, crash in the last turn, like uh, eight laps to go. And that same, that same uh, year, um, Chris Weddington, he crashed pretty bad against the barrier. And then that, and then the last year, it was just me with the, with the whole crash. But Chris, one of your teammates, he probably saved me in a crit last year at Harlem. Harlem Skyscraper is a fast, fast crit. Four corners, wide open. There is no reason to stop pedaling ever. And you can just kind of get lulled into a sense of calm when that's happening. And like Justin and Corey Williams were there from Legion. So their entire team was there. They were controlling the front very, very well. So the speed was very, very constant. And I remember distinctly going into the final corner like halfway through the race 
and I saw Weddington come by me. And it it woke me up enough to go, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little too far back here. Maybe I should go forward. And as Chris was coming by me, I grabbed onto his wheel and we swang out wide. And we had gotten just enough ahead of this massive crash that happened right where we were. And so like bikes and people were all over the place. And I was just like, the only reason that I wasn't in the middle of that was because your teammate, Chris, had woken me up and got me going. Oh, you have an example of decision. You see? <laughs> what was the total damage from this from this injury? You, I mean, obviously, you've got a scar I have going on your bicep, yeah. <laughs> so you're part of the club. Uh, you know, how badly were you hurt? Well, I, at the beginning, I thought it would take me at least two months to recover. You as a cyclist, the only thing you worry about at the very beginning is your bike. How is the bike? Can I get back on? Of course not, because, you know, it was pretty much trashed out. It was completely trashed out. Well, me thinking that it would take me two months, I convinced myself. I mean, the whole surgery situation, it was very fast. Uh, the night of the crash, obviously, I was in deep pain. I lost the skin suit because they hold, they cut it all out and, you know, all the hospital treatment and they were about to operate the same uh, Friday night, but the doctor had uh, other like appointments and surgeries the same night. And I went to bed on Friday night and by Saturday morning, I was already, I was already uh, patched up. So they did the whole surgery overnight and, you know, I had the whole titanium and, 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 and a screws back in my arm. And I was like, well, I guess from, for now, it's all recovery. So the doctor, the beginning, she told me, you can't lift anything more than five pounds for now, right? So I kept my arm on the sling just like this for two weeks. But in two weeks, you know, I was just, I was just very uh, hyperactive. I, 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 just, I just couldn't get my arm around that because I feel the need of doing, of, of doing stuff around. And in a matter of a month, obviously, I'm sorry, doctor, if you're hearing this, <laughs> I, you know, I just didn't follow the doctor. In a matter of a month, I was, I was completely uh, back on the bike. I mean, I was doing my trainer, you know, with one arm, but it was just hectic as well because the whole sling used to get sweaty and I used to get more hot and hot. So I used to just ride with my arm like this. We've done all, we've all done some creative things with arm <laughs> injuries, like trying to like put your arm on a bookcase or something like that so you can continue to ride. It was an it was an interesting experience for sure. But how did you emotionally or mentally handle it? I mean, this was this was going to be your season and all of a sudden your season got ripped away from you. So uh physically I couldn't do anything, you know, one of my extremities was incapable to perform bicycle ra bike racing and mentally I think at the very first moment I saw myself with a big scar and knowing that I wouldn't be able to race for like at least two months, I, I, I said to myself, well, I guess if uh, Sergio, Sergio and Al, he could live with a knee surgery, why couldn't I live with an arm for like two months? I was just ment preparing myself mentally to be like, okay, this is just temporarily Let's just focus on some other thing. And after that, let's just get back on track. What did you focus on? <laughs> work, actually. <laughs> work. So during that whole work, during that whole month, uh, my daddy was full-handed with work. You know, we have a, a construction company. In this season, you know, summer is just like sometimes it's very busy and uh, you don't find too many people to work. So I usually uh, help him here and there. But during that whole month, the only thing I could help him was from my desk. I couldn't do much more like a physical physical work or just talking to clients or visiting because I couldn't drive either. I mean, the doctor didn't allow me to drive, but after a couple of weeks, I took off my sling and I could drive like short distances. I will say, but further than that, he was just focusing on work and uh, family and life. What's it like having your dad as involved as he is with your bike racing? Because he's there. He's there at the big races. He's... 
he's always taking pictures. I, I knew your dad before I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome to have him around. You know, he's been my uh, motivation, like my forever motivation. He's been always a very avid sportman. Uh, but the problem why he couldn't settle in one is that my grandfather, he was a very wealthy man from the, from the capital, from Bogota. And he used to move around too much, you know, so one year in this place, one year in another. And the old man, he was just a, a, a case as well because he was a avid sports lover. He used to wake up like at 3.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning just to watch tennis games, basketball games, soccer games, uh, Formula One, all the stuff. So the whole passion for sports just went past through my dad and my dad just keeps transmitting that to us. Hopefully one day I can pass that to my to my children if they want to do some sport. If not, I guess, you know, generations, they always keep changing. <laughs> Chapter 3, $100,000. Rebuilt and revived, 2020 dawns, but bike racing is now gone. And let's be clear, racing should remain gone. Until there's an effective treatment for the coronavirus, broad and rapid testing, and frankly, a vaccine. But the absence of racing doesn't mean the absence of our community or the absence of the need to continue strides in growing the ties that bring us all together and looking for new connections and communities and places we have previously not served. So now we're here in 2020, you know, you had come back, raced Green Mountain, which is a strange race to do as your comeback race. I mean, it's not easy at all. That was a very interesting return because I picked the hardest race of the season to come back. Obviously, I wasn't prepared, but the Kelly family opened their arms for me. Uh, they kindly invited me to race for them up there, and I had a good time. You know, and now I know how it is, so I can prepare myself for future years. Do you like being? You know, because you took a step down, let's say it like that. You took a step down from a UCI team to being on a domestic elite team. You know, Kelly Benefit Strategies, even though it is the elite team and you guys go to some of the biggest races in the country, it's not UCI. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that's a better fit for you? Do you feel like you want to get back to the UCI world? Look, I, I feel like to be on the UCI level, even when I just briefly was on the on the continental on the continental side, I think it takes a lot of selfishness. You know, you gotta be selfish if you wanna be if you wanna race at that type of uh, at that level. You know, you 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 need to sacrifice a lot to be a, to 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 be part of that. You need to sacrifice a lot. You need to sacrifice uh, sometimes family. You need to sacrifice personal relationship. You need to sacrifice uh, sometimes friends. And the thing is, I'm a big pillar for my family. And during this whole county path and the whole elite uh, racing path, it it wasn't easy because I I I have always been trying to be there. You know, for my family and always for my teammates, right? But it's it's either way, one or the other. I don't regret at all to stepping down from the from the UCI because um, uh, I left very good friends from Skyline. Ryan is an awesome person. David, all of them, you know, they have very good and long story in cycling, and I think uh, I think it was very it was very fruitful to be with them. And now that the Kelly family opened their arms for me. You know, uh, Nima and Mark, they are just uh, two big mentors, the backbone of the whole program. And I can, I can definitely uh, call Kelly my family. I feel very grateful and blessed, comfortable with them. Well, let's talk about Mark. Mark Frazier, obviously, he, who you were talking about, and Nima Ibrahimanejad. Yeah. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. 
Ibrahim Nijad. Okay. Nima. Yeah. <laughs> He's the guy who comes to Haynes Point and makes it hard. I have a very funny story of how do I, uh, let's say, not met them, but know about him. So we were racing, I think it was Cardolan or uh, Tour of Tysons. We were right at the start line. And one of my teammates, we saw Chris and Nima riding together, just warming up. And he comes to me and he said, you see those two up there? Be careful with them. And I'm like, what was the problem? What's the matter with them? And he was like, they're really fast. They're really strong. But they're also very crazy. And at that point, I think that was like dynamite in my head. I was like, I wonder how crazy they are. So from that, from that stem, from that race, I'm like, let's see how 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 fast, how hard, how crazy they are. And it was all about that. It was just the whole type of racing, the whole Nima and Chris uh, combination of the leading out and sprinting. That I was like, this is this is pretty awesome. This is pretty cool. I really like them. And I just just start talking to Nima here and there. He's a very busy man, but he has time for everything. He's like Santa Claus. He's making the toys, and at the same time, he's delivering it. It's just, <laughs> it's just a whole combo. I really like that analogy for Nima because what he's made is the Kelly Benefits Devo team. It is. Once he stepped in uh, and took uh, lead and charge into both programs, what is Mark and what's uh, Nima? The, like I said, they're, they're the backbone of both program, elite, uh, elite program, development program, and the girls, the female development program, because we have three awesome girls. Honestly, that's, that's what the Kelly family and the whole team have been trying to do, be more inclusive with the, with the feminine cycling, with all the minority cycling, uh, getting all the support from the masters, uh, trying to encourage the people to do more sport. And from the hand from the club riders and John Kelly just it's it's it's, it's been always the same uh the same vibe and the same environment. Encourage the people to do more cycling and you know to lead their lives a better way, I guess. One of the things about Kelly in its advocacy towards inclusion of minorities in the sport. Recently, Justin Williams of Legion of LA, he and his team raised $100,000 to encourage the growth of diversity in American bike racing. What would you do with $100,000 to bring more diversity into our sport? Let's say it wasn't Justin who got the GoFundMe going, it was Kelly and Saeed Arana. What would you do with that hundred thousand dollars? What would be the initiatives that you would champion? That's that's a, that's a I want to say a hard ball, but it's just uh, interesting that you direct the whole you know the the whole Kelly and and Saeed program. I guess being more inclusive is always a way to go. And what I mean by being inclusive is just not deleting or not recognizing what ethnicity or the other. It's supposed to be everyone, all together. Right nowadays, I just think that is there's been talent wasted out there. There's just so much talent in places that people haven't looked at it because people are just looking at the same place, right? People just like in Colombia, you know, there's so many riders in so many other cities, but usually the people look at what it's Medellin, what's Colombia, uh, what is Bogota, sorry, uh, Boyaca, which is from where where Naira is from. And let's say from the coffee region, Manizales, they have very good riders, all of them. All those cities are, are pretty much the, the whole, uh, the, the, the big seat, the big tree, just dropping seats all over. But there's so many other cities that they have enormous amount of talent that they're just not recognized. You know, like what you mentioned in your past, in your past uh, podcast, you know, mentioning DJ Brew, mentioning me, mentioning some others. We are a certain age that elite riders can develop and have a, a very good performance in races. But I guess from my perspective, I would just go to cities where cycling has you know, been very uh, developed and looking for those hidden talents. 
There's so many riders out there that they haven't even touched a bike and they're just amazing. Uh, I guess using this kind of funds to encourage looking for hidden places, for those hidden gems out in the country, out in the small towns, out in, uh, uh, I don't know, small counties, small cities. And encouraging the female cycling will be crucial as well. You know, not not just focusing just on the, those are badass boys that like to ride, you know, pretty hard. What about the badass girls that like to ride hard too? It, that will be that will be very nice to see, you know, that programs were recognized not just for the boys, but for the girls as well. Give us a pitch. Give us your pitch for why we should get out of our bubble here in the United States and come down to Colombia and do some riding and racing in Colombia. <laughs> well, I think, well, if I mention the food, you guys will definitely be down there. I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why the people feel uh, eagerly uh, motivated to go. But the whole cycling community in Colombia is just pretty awesome. It doesn't even matter what kind of lever you are. Elite, not elite, super amateur. You just bought an expensive bike and you want to start riding. Everyone is very welcoming. You know, this doesn't mean that the, the, USA, the, the U.S. doesn't have it. But U.S. is so big. Colombia is just so small. Everyone... You could even recognize Egan, Egan in the street, right? So everyone will feel like, you know, oh, you do cycling. Oh, that's pretty cool. Have you heard of uh, Nairo? Have you heard of Rigo? Like everyone knows each other in the in the in the in the commun in the cycling community. It's just because it's so small. It's just so pure and unique that that's it's it's, it's very authentic from the Colombian culture. Now switch it. Speak to your Colombian friends and the one or two fans that listen to this podcast in Colombia. Give them their, give them your pitch to come here and give it a shot up here. Here is a very fast land. Uh, the series I have raced with, I have raced, uh, let's say the crit, the criticism. I've always loved the criticism, even when I'm coming from a country where road racing is the main, is, is, the, is the main, uh, the main act, right? But crit racing in the U.S. is just so thrilling. That's the word. It's just so thrilling. You know, the whole, not just the, not just the, the daylight uh, crit, it's just the twilight crit. You know, just the, the one that moves the people, the one that encourages them to get out of their homes and be like, okay, let's just watch for, let's just watch for 30 minutes. There are just people that go for 20 minutes and they end up going to a whole series because the emotion of being there, like knowing more, informing themselves about the sport, it's, it's just uh, it's just very unique, and that you will get to experience what well, you don't really get to ex- when you don't experience in 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 our country. Those very fast groups at you know same speed and the whole people and the whole setup and races. It's just it's just pretty awesome. It will be it will be very nice that uh, many of my Colombia fellow co- my co- fellow countrymen will will come up here and, and try to crit racing. <laughs> I can almost see Nairo doing it. It would kind of be an interesting experience. Actually, I will pay for his race entry if he if he comes and races. That would be that would be very awesome uh, to be racing in, in this area. You know, we're not going to get to race in 2020. It it doesn't look like that's going to happen, and we have to come to terms with that. I would love for them to find a vaccine, and I would love for us to be able to get out there and race. But it looks like 2021 is going to be the next time that we get to race either period or for any substantial amount of time. What are the races that you want to do? The ones that you haven't done yet that you want to give a shot at doing? So 2021, I feel like my always favorites, it's the one I've been, I have been, uh, I've gone, I, I have done so far. Uh, but I wanted to do more races up in New York, like the Harlem skyscraper, uh, Rochester. I've heard it is a very uh, intense criterion. More like South Cal, you know, where the Williams brothers are. That'll be very nice to race. But I like more like the technical type, technical type of criterion. And Air Force is definitely my favorite one. This year I had huge plans for it. Unfortunately, you know, the ups and downs, but. I feel like racing in your backyard, you know, having the people that you train and you see often in the area, seeing you doing good in that in that kind of race, it's, 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 it's very rewarding. So you're 27 now? 27, yes. 
Where do you see yourself going with this sport? Right now, do the best I can. Give all I have to my teammates and, and the team or the program, you know, uh, represent and give them back what they, they kindly have given to me in a way that the whole program, the whole team, the people who have helped me to be here, they feel represented. They feel like looking at me and in, in, in future years in cycling, look at me wherever I will be and say, well, we helped him. He did something good with it. Uh, but who knows right now? I mean, it's it's this too much uncertain. Uh, There's too much uncertainty right now in the cycling, uh, in the cycling aspect. Uh, all I can say is that whatever it comes my way in cycling, I'm just going to do it. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be watching you in 2021. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me, Rob. This has been a very nice experience. Uh, joining us on another episode of No Training Wheels. We're a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. For more information and links to the other incredible shows on the network, go to wideanglepodium.com. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. For more content, follow us on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod. And your home for the best in American Criterium Racing is NoTrainingWheelsPod.com. Join us here next time for more from our Criterium Nation.